0: Amen, I am going to this morning take a chance and you can ask my wife Connie, I have labored long and hard over what I should do, should not do, what I should say, what I should not say and how I should approach what I believe is going to be the most important civil decision uh, that we will make as a nation Uh, certainly in the rest of my lifetime. And I will confess to you that I have struggled over that. I am also willing to acknowledge that there are differences of opinion, um, but I believe that what I am about to share with you comes from your Bible, and it comes from nowhere else but your Bible. I also recognize at the moment that uh, a pastor of any kind, of any flavor, uh, begins to talk about things that could be deemed political, that he crosses over a great divide which some people have great offense with. If that's you this morning, I apologize in advance. But I cannot nor will I be silent on the issue. I believe that I have a biblical responsibility to speak the truth uh, as we approach the election coming uh, just a week from Tuesday. I also want to put this into a very clear perspective for you. Because as a church, we have a responsibility to present Christ crucified to the world. That is the gospel mission. Amen? And anything that runs contrary to our ability to be able to do that, I think we can all agree, no matter where you are politically, that that would hinder the mission of the gospel that if we in fact cross over civilly to a place where we can no longer pull out our Bibles and speak from it categorically to the issues that address our society and the way we live, that ultimately it is the gospel that is in danger. It is the ability to speak the gospel message that I believe ultimately becomes Endangered. And that is why I'm going to speak this morning for a few minutes on the issue of the presidential election. I had decided not to. You can again ask Connie. I thought well, I'll just make up some kind of flyer. I'll pass it out. But that would be the chicken way out, quite frankly. That would be me saying, you know what, I don't want to deal with the emails. I don't want to, you know, be accused of being too political. And what it came down to was a verse or two that I want you to read with me. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to read from verse 16 to verse 19. Proverbs 6, verse 16, we'll begin down to verse 19. Six things the Lord hates. How much blessing do you think God is going to pour out upon a nation, if that nation takes upon itself the building of a political structure that is, in essence, built upon the very things that God hates. And I say to you that we cannot expect God to bless our country if we build our country upon things which God hates. The reason I'm saying this to you is I think some Christians want to divest themselves from all things political because they think that political and spiritual do not belong together. And I say to you, you cannot separate what you believe from how you act as a citizen. And if you can, I question whether you actually believe or not. And if you can believe something on Sunday and not act on it on Monday, shame on you. Six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. Boastfully stating that we know better than God. A lying tongue. The inability to speak the truth and to do everything for political motivation sake would be another way to look at it. Some other reason than the truth being brought forth. Notice the third thing, hands that shed innocent blood. There is no more innocent blood than the life of a child that's still in the womb of the mother. A heart that devises wicked plans. Now, I don't know about you and wickedness, but I believe my Bible is very descriptive about what wickedness looks like. And I believe that among those most wicked things is all sexual immorality of every flavor, including passing out condoms to high school girls including mandating birth control as a matter of normality so that we can be as sexually immoral as we please. Feet that are swift in running to evil. Simply having your sight set on those things which God has declared he doesn't like. He doesn't want that, are the contrary things to what his plans are for mankind. A false witness, notice this is said basically twice, who speaks lies. What I want from my politicians is the truth. What I want from my government is the truth. I don't want to be told that everything's fine when it's not fine. I do not want to be lied to. If you make a mistake, own up to it, confess it, get over it. Let me say, you know what, hey, I probably wouldn't have made a better decision myself, but don't lie to me. Don't tell me everything's okay and rack up endless amounts of debt. Do not cause my children to have to pay off the stupidity of the insane things that we now provide for in this country that, quite frankly, we don't need. Don't lie. And one who sows discord amongst the brethren. Why am I sharing this with you? Because I think that sometimes, if nothing else, we as the church don't speak as loudly to the issues as we should. It doesn't mean that every church service should become one of political nature. God forbid that that's true. This is not a Republican and Democrat issue. God is not a Republican. Amen? He's not. But I believe there are clear choices based on what your Bible says. Very clear choices. This is not Fox versus MSNBC. Okay? It's not. This is not O'Reilly versus Matthews. Okay? Okay? It is not. Frankly, I can't stand Rush Limbaugh. He, I despise him. Okay? And he's as right as you can possibly be. He makes my skin crawl. I don't like the way he puts forth things. It is mostly offensive, even if he's right. It's not what I'm here to tell you this morning. But what I am here to tell you is what your Bible says. You have three options a week from Tuesday. One is don't vote. It's an option, isn't it? A lot of Christians do that. Well, we have 50. You realize that California has almost doubled the electoral votes of any other state. And it fries my carcass that we keep voting for the guys that I don't want to see in office. Okay, I admit that. I'm not overly happy that our 55 electoral votes very often in and of themselves could turn an election one way or the other. I don't like that, but it is our governing system, and I believe it's still the best system in the world for electing officials. So you can talk about whether you don't like it or not. You can talk about not voting because my vote doesn't count. I don't like the fact that we already know who's going to win before our votes are even counted. I hate all those things, too. I do. I hate it. But you've got two other choices besides that one choice, which is don't vote. One is Barack Obama, and the other is Mitt Romney. And I'm going to ask you some simple questions this morning that I pray will help you make a decision that's based on what your Bible says and not on which political party you're affiliated with. Because I believe that your Bible says in Romans chapter 1 in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And to me, this is the issue which defines this election. What do you want as a political choice? You have a party who, after a second vote, Decided that they would include God in their platform. And quite frankly, they didn't actually vote for it. It was political expedience. The vote was pretty clear that they did not want God in their platform. You have a party that is pro homosexual marriage, which is clearly ungodliness and unrighteousness according to your Bible. You have a party which is for abortion, which is clearly, according to Exodus chapter 22, murder. You have a choice, folks. I don't like the fact that one of our candidates is a Mormon and the other one is a Jesus-only liberation theologist. I don't like that. But I can tell you this, that's not the issue. The issue isn't whether one of our candidates is a non-Christian Mormon and the other is a non-Christian by his actions and his very words. Because you cannot be pro-homosexual marriage, pro-gay rights, pro-death of the unborn. You cannot be pro-those things and be pro-God. God hates them. And whether you want to hear that or whether you don't, your Bible says that God is against those who are against him, that he hates unrighteousness, and he is against those who practice it. Romans chapter 1 says that God will judge humanity for these things. He has judged humanity for these things, has he not? All one need do is look at human history and answer the question for yourself. What do you expect God's response will be if we continue down the current path which says it's all okay? It's not all okay with God. His word is clear. Do I like the fact that we might have a Mormon in the White House? I don't like it. But I can tell you this, I'd rather have a Buddhist who will uphold godly values, maybe they don't know where they come from, and who will uphold our constitution, than have someone who declares very clearly that he does not stand for what God stands for. So when we think of these things, how should we think It is a matter of civil duty that you have, according to Romans chapter 13, by the way, to vote. You're not voting for a pastor-in-chief. You're voting for a commander-in-chief and one who knows the difference from what your Bible says between good and evil. That's all. This is not a tough choice. Romans 13 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Is that clear enough? So is option one not voting even an option? The answer is no, unless you're not very bright. Why do I say that? Because you're going to be subject to the governing authorities whether you vote for them or not. And so you have a choice in this country to vote for that governing authority. Do you not want the most clearly biblically oriented person that you possibly can have. I share with you that I do not believe that either presidential candidate is a Christian. I don't believe either one of them has a biblical sense of what it means to be a Christian. But I can tell you there is a vast difference between the morality of the two men that we have to choose from. And there is a vast difference between how that morality lines up with scripture. And so it does get quite a bit more clear than I think a lot of people want it to be. Family of God, Article 7 of the United States Constitution clearly states that there is no religious test for the office of president. So it isn't a matter of whether they're a Christian or not. That's prohibited by the Constitution of the United States. There can't be a religious test. But there ought to be in the minds of the body of Christ a biblical test because we're under the governing authorities. Verse 2 of Romans 13 says, And therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So guess what? Whoever's in the office of president you got to follow along with. Do you want to follow along with a president who will continue to propagate the death of innocent unborn children? Do you want a president who will instill and enshrine forever that homosexuality is not a sin even though your Bible says it is? I think not, if you actually believe what your Bible says. And I believe you do. So the choice does become clear. We need a pro-biblical family model in our president. That's what we need. God invented marriage. Not our government. God invented marriage. And he defined it between a man and a woman. So what is God's definition of a marriage? Between a man and a woman. That is what view you want your president to have. What, what, wherever in scripture have we ever seen a single verse that says, you know what? It's okay for two men to marry each other, two women to marry each other. It's not there. Matter of fact, it calls it an abomination. So do we want a president who is pro family values or against family values? Again, I believe biblically the choice is clear. I don't have to tell you who to vote for. I can tell you what your Bible says. And to me, it becomes quite clear how you ought to cast your vote. It's not a choice between two evils. It's a choice between a biblical set of values and an unbiblical set of values. It's not between two Christians. It's between two non-Christians. We need to get that through our heads. Mitt Romney is a member of the Mormon Church, and it is, let me state categorically, a cult. He is a member of a cult. But we're not voting for someone who is going to sit in the White House and dictate what we're going to do here on Sunday morning. The moment he does that, every church in America will rise up and call their congressman and call their senator, and I guarantee you it will be over in a hurry. That's why we have three branches of government. So, what do we do? I think we vote for the guy that is closest to a biblical set of values. That becomes quite clear to me. We're not voting as to who has the clearest definition of salvation. We're voting for the person who will be standing for the things that God stands for. I am not allowed by law to endorse a presidential candidate. But I can tell you that in my view, there's only one choice. You make that decision. Who's pro-life? Who's against abortion? Who is for those things which God stands for in a very major way? The things that Scripture plainly says, this is what God thinks. I'm not talking about the peripheral issues. I'm talking about the big issues. Family of God, we got to stop telling our kids that it's okay to experiment sexually until they find out the person they're sexually compatible with. we got to stop it, and we need to stop it now. It's killing our children. We need to stem the tide of sin that has produced a nation that can't even discern what a family looks like anymore. God defined family. I want to vote for somebody who has that definition of family. I want to end with this. I will tell you, I have had arguments, and we have had people leave this church because I have, in essence, said, Well, you know, at least Mitt Romney is. Barack Obama is not. I realize that. I acknowledge that some of you may not like what I'm doing right now. But I can tell you this. There is in the matter of logic what's known as a genetic fallacy. And in the matter of logic, it is this. A genetic fallacy is one that overlooks the obvious, or excuse me, it adheres to the obvious and does not look at the substantive argument. The substantive argument is the real things that matter. The obvious is Mitt Romney is a Mormon. Barack Obama happens to be black. Those are obvious things. We need to stop promulgating genetic fallacy and stop not voting for somebody because of one part of their character. Or voting for them because one part of their character stands out. We need to vote with true biblical values. And I pray you will do that. To me it's clear. The key issues are, where do they stand on life? Because your Declaration of Independence declares that all men are created equal and that we are given by God the pursuit of a few things. Life is the first one of them. So your Bible and your Constitution agree. You can't pursue the next thing, which is happiness, unless you're alive. Amen? Pretty clear. So don't say on one hand that I'm not going to vote for so-and-so because he is this When the bigger issue is, where do they stand on life? Where do they stand on the issue of marriage? Where do they stand on the place of government? Where do they stand on the protection of the innocent? Those are the issues. Where do they stand on the economy? Because debt, your Bible says, is for no one. Neither a borrower nor a lender be. Do not become slave to the debtor. Easy issues, family. I pray you will take those things to the voting booth and that you will vote biblical values. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is clear. And God, I want to pray, if I've offended someone this morning, I pray that they would know it's with the right heart. And God, I would ask that as we now turn our attention to... Uh, your word in its entirety, that God, you'd bless us, anoint us. We are so thankful for the work that you do in the church. We pray that you'd work among us to to will and to do, as is your good pleasure as we study. God, bless us as your people. We want to pray, God, uh, we have an election coming, and what lies in the balance of that election may well be the course of this nation for as long as we are on this earth. And Lord, we believe that that is a sovereign, choice that we must make with your help and so lord help us to choose wisely those elected rulers lord help us to vote with conviction of our biblical values and as we now study your word god speak to us through what we pray in jesus name amen first corinthians 12 verse 12 For as the body is one and has many members, but so also the members of that one body, being many, are one body. And so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we're baptized into the one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, for all have been made to drink from the same Spirit. And so Paul now goes on to continue this thought process of of spiritual giftedness. And I want to draw your attention to just a handful of things in our remaining time, because this is so important for us to understand We are members of exactly one body, as I shared with you last time. There's only one real church. That one real church is made up of Methodists and Episcopalians and Calvary Chapel folks and Baptists and unaffiliated people and non-denominational people and people who just flat love Jesus. Amen? That's the real church. The real church is not this, it's not this building. It isn't just this group of people. It's the church everywhere that confesses Jesus Christ is Lord. And the the thing that happens when you confess Jesus Christ is Lord is immediately the Spirit of God enters into you and indwells you. You become indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And because of that, there's really only one set of rules and regulations. There's only one set of guidelines. They're expressed in all kinds of different ways, many different flavors. So it gives us picture of tremendous diversity and at the same time unity. Amen? So we have this diversity that's expressed in unity. We, we are part of a larger body called the body of Christ. And that body has a singular function while we're here on this earth. And that is to preach the good news of the gospel. That is exactly why I just took the time to talk about what's going to happen a week from Tuesday. Because we're all going to be in it together. When it's all said and done, the church that's in Iran, the Persian church and the church that's in China, and the church that's in America, and the church that's in South America, and the church that maybe there's a couple of folks saved down there in McMurdo Station in Antarctica. I don't know. But wherever we are and whoever we are, we are part of one body that is the body of Christ. And the same Spirit is in every last one of us. There's not a different Spirit for Baptist. There's not a different spirit for Foursquare, folks. There's not a different spirit that uh, dwells in us folks calling ourselves Calvary Chapel. There's one spirit. That spirit has spoken to us by itself and has spoken to us through the word which is inspired by the spirit of God. This is God's inspired Word. It came from God. The Spirit gives it life, and it moves into our bodies, our minds, and we are supposed to be indwelt by that same Spirit. And what's going to happen when we get to chapter 13 is we're going to see how that Spirit is expressed in love. Because an unloving church is not a Spirit-filled church. A church that can have all these other amazing things and yet lack love is not a church that really represents the Lord. It's why I agonized over whether to speak about these political things or not. Because the last thing in the world I wanted to do was come across as unloving or uncaring or that there aren't differences of opinion. Because the spirit that's in me is the same spirit that's in those folks that call themselves Democrats. Same spirit is in the folks that call themselves independents. Same spirit should be in those Republicans. There's only one spirit. When you're talking about the Spirit of God, it is the thing that unites us, not divides us. Amen? We need to understand that in the context with which it's being spoken. Unfortunately, much has been made of the baptism of the Holy Spirit like it's something that we need to be afraid of. And, you know, it's there are... There is much division that occurs in the church over that particular issue, and I don't want to belabor it. I taught on it in our, in our series on in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I want to encourage you. You can go to the website, you can get the CDs, and, and, and listen to that. So I don't want to take the time this morning to, to rehash that. But in essence, there is a spirit that is in you. Subsequent to that, there is a spirit that is in the world. These are expressed in three tenses of the Greek phrase to be. And so there is a spirit that is in the believer. That is the spirit of God. There is a spirit that is in the world. Also, the spirit of God, convicting of sin, convicting of righteousness, moving about, showing people uh, the way that is, is the path to, to the Lord. And then there is a third sense in which the Spirit is available to us. And that is the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that infills you. Because I don't know about you, I get empty every once in a while. And I'm praying and I'm seeking God. And I love the Lord and I want to be used by God. But I I think if, if you're honest, I know I will be honest with you. There are times when I'm like, Lord, I don't have anything left. I need more of you and less of me. And I pray for that infilling. That is a different work. I I had the Spirit in me at salvation. I have the Spirit around me in the world. And I also need the Spirit to fill me up so I can go do what God's called me to do. And that really is the simplest way to understand the work of the Spirit that Paul is speaking about here. And, and so he begins to now... Uh, illuminate this very quickly for us. You, you see, because if we have unity without diversity, all that does is make uniformity. Amen. All of a sudden, everybody's just the same. That's why socialism doesn't work. It's why communism doesn't work. You, you need all that diversity. You you have to have people with different gifts using those gifts. Doesn't make those gifts better. It just makes them part of God's plan. Are there gifts that scripture says are the more desirable ones? Yes. But that's for us to to sit there and look at and go, God, I want to be used in a greater way. I'm not, I call it holy dissatisfaction. I pray that each of you has a little bit of holy dissatisfaction. That you look at your life and say, you know what, I could grow in that area. I could be used in a greater way here. God, would you please gift me in that way so I could be used in in a way that's greater than I'm being used right now. That is that infilling of the spirit coming upon you and saying, you know what, Jeff? Okay, you were doing that, but now I would like you to do this. And so here's some more of my spirit. You see, we don't want everybody looking the same, doing the same job. There's tremendous diversity. And, and in essence, you can see this, and, and the analogy is the human body. I'm getting a little older. I found out that my body's it's wearing down. It's getting to that place to where things don't work quite like they used to work. Things are a bit slower. I look at my toes and go, man, those are a long ways away. <laughs> they used to be closer, I think. And so we can see how, even in the analogy that Paul's going to use, that we kind of have a picture of the church. Because if the church doesn't maintain freshness, that's why we have to focus on youth. If the church doesn't maintain vision, if the church isn't welcoming diversity, all we have is exactly what's been expressed in religion. All of a sudden, everybody starts to look the same and act the same. And there is no reason for any of those churches to even exist singularly and solely. Because you could go to one and be exactly like the other. That's not God's plan. God's plan is for diversity. We are different. I can tell you, this church is different than the, the Calvary Chapel that is in Kailua-Kona. It's different. We're different. We're better. <laughs> Says, pray for the best gifts. We got some more gifts. It's all, you know. But yes, we, we need to see these things the way God sees them. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be excellent. It's why it gripes me so much when people, well, you know, I just don't want to stand out. Why would you not want to be good? Why would you not want to be better? Why would you not want to have more impact? Why would you not want, not want to have in your life, in operation, more gifting instead of less gifting? That's the picture that's here. I want us to do more. I want us to accomplish greater things for the kingdom. We're not a huge mega church, but we have been called and gifted and given gifts so that we can do what God has called us to do. And we should do it with excellence and purpose. We can reach out. For in fact, the body, verse 14 says, is not one member, but many. For if the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And of course, these are all rhetorical questions. Of course not, is the answer. If the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? The whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? The whole were hearing, where would the smelling? But now God has set among the members, each one of them, the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Can you imagine if your whole body was made out of ears? Or worse yet, out of lips. But now indeed there are many members and yet one body. You see, the body in its diversity is a picture of the church. I'm glad that we have ears and I'm glad that we have eyes and I'm glad that we have fingers and we have toes and we have legs and we have arms and we have some with hair and all the we have yes, all of it, because it is that diversity that causes us to function as the body of Christ. The church would be a miserable thing if we were all a bunch of lips, wouldn't it? We'd be blabbing a lot and not listening. You there wouldn't be any hearing. That's the picture here. I suppose I could learn to walk on my ears. I don't know. You know, think about these things in a rational sense. He's trying to drive home a point here. We need each other, brothers and sisters. We need each other. I need you. Like it or not, you need me. I know that's hard to fathom at times, but we, we need each other. We don't function as the body of Christ unless it's all of us. It really is an all-or-nothing proposition because you're diminished without the body of Christ. That's why the church can accomplish more as the church than it can as we as individuals could ever accomplish. The disciples were sent out by twos, were they not? Primarily. They then founded the church. They didn't go found a bunch of monastic people sitting in a cave somewhere getting holy. They founded the church with all of its lumps and bumps and bruises and pimples and boils and whatever else thing you want to say about it. With all of the things that are not so good, the church is still better as the church than it is as one person sitting in a cave somewhere. We need to remember that. Yeah, we get on each other's nerves. Yes, your pastor occasionally says something you don't like. But you know what? I have a gift you don't have. And I'm going to have to answer to God one day for that gift and how I use it. And so I want to use my gift and you should want to use yours. Maybe you have some of the gifts I have. Are you using them? Are you serving the Lord through the gifts that God's given you? You probably saw a resource table going in out there. It's going to be a place for you couples to stand and greet people after service and talk about what's going on in the church. Are you using the gifts that God's given you? Because we need you. We need you to help with. The housekeeping things. We need you to help with the hospitality stuff. We need you to help in children's ministry. We need you to be out there for trunk or treat. We need you in our community telling people about Jesus because He is the way and the truth and the life. Amen? That's what the body does. For the eye, he goes on to say, you see, as our hope as a family is that that unity that we promote helps us to discover this dependence. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor can the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem weaker are necessary. And it's so true. I mean, I don't think you guys even know what your spleen does. But try living without one. It's like you ever have a ruptured appendix. You're going to know in a hurry. Your appendix has a purpose. It may be evil, but it's got, <laughs> your appendix has a purpose. There's things that that you don't see behind the scenes that happen that are part of the body and those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable. And obviously he's talking about our private parts. Those we bestow upon greater honor and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. We take a lot of time and effort to cover ourselves up, don't we? What he's saying is, is the body's like that. Love covers a multitude of sin, folks. We don't go around exposing the weaknesses of the body. We go around lovingly working to see to it that the body functions. We take the time and the effort and the energy to love people. Without qualification. There are some people that you think, man, I don't know what their purpose is. I've thought that, okay? I'll just be honest. It's like, Lord, I know he or she's a blessing. I just don't know what kind of blessing it is. I suppose it's some kind of blessing. I just don't know what that blessing is. There are parts of the body go, man, I hope that isn't how people get their impression of what the church is. But you know what? That just means that we have some work to do. We have some ministry to do. We have some love to bestow. You see, our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God who composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And if one member gets this, one member suffers, then all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, then all are honored with it. That's the way the body functions. We need to care about the least among us. We need need to be looking out for each other because we aren't going to do well without each other. We're not going to prosper for the kingdom without each other. Oh, We'll accomplish some things, but we won't accomplish the big things. And furthermore, we won't give glory to the Lord as we should unless we're doing what the body should do. And I pray we learn this. I pray I learn it. There are times when I'm guilty of, you know, I'm selectively picking the parts. I I often have wondered what, what a body would actually look like if I assembled it. It'd probably have 19 arms. You know, have all kinds of extra hands. Probably have 40 eyes and two ears. I think that's enough, you know. You see what I'm saying? From our human perspective, we wouldn't have created what God creates. We'd create it to look like us, what we want. I want to get a lot of things done. Be really fast. I'd have a fast body. We're in Kona. I'm looking. We were there the four days after the Ironman triathlon. We're looking at all these leftover athletes going, These people are sick. They're demented. They have so little body fat when you walk by them. It was kind of cool because it sucks the fat right off of you. (laughs) It's going, like a negative body fat. But you know what? They didn't have Jesus. They needed Jesus. Most of them didn't have Jesus. They needed Jesus. So you can have a body that looks good that doesn't do much. Amen? That's why Paul said bodily exercise profits little didn't say it doesn't profit some, it just profits little. It does a little bit for you. So how should we care for each other? We'll end with this. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. This is it. He, he's now, he's given us this analogy. Now he's saying you, us, we. You are the body of Christ. You're members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, and He talks about all these things, apostles and prophets and teachers, miracles and gifts of healings and helps and administrations and varieties of tongues. And then He says, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? All workers of miracles? Do you all have the gift of healings? All speak with tongues? Do you all interpret? The answer, of course, is no. But we got some of those gifts. And people that have those gifts should use those gifts for the body. And everybody, it says, should desire earnestly the best gifts. Whatever gifts God wants for you, desire all of it. One of the best prayers you can ever pray is, Lord, give me everything you want and nothing I don't need. Lord, give me everything you want and nothing I don't need. If you want to make me a toe, make me a toe. If you want to make me an ear, make me an ear. If you want to make me a mouthpiece, make me a mouthpiece. But whatever it is, I want the best of what you want for me, Lord. That's the picture. And he's going to go on in chapter 13 and express how this actually looks what the result of a well-functioning body actually is. It's one of the most beautiful chapters in the entire Bible. We'll get to that next time. And yet, I will show you it ends in verse 31, a more excellent way. And of course, that way is the way of agape. It's the way of love. I am blessed to be your pastor. I am blessed to be a part of this church. I'm thankful for this body. I'm stunned at the things that we are able to accomplish. I know we can do more, and I know God wants to use us in greater ways. And so be in prayer. Ask God what is your part. And when He tells you, do it with everything you got. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of the body of Christ. And and Lord, I pray, we pray, we ask God that you would give us those greatest gifts, Lord. Give us the best gifts, the ones that you know uh, are the ones you've planned for us, that you want to use in a a way in us that uh, you've designed us for. Lord, you, you love our individuality and our uniqueness. And you want to use those uniquenesses for your kingdom. And so, God, we submit ourselves to the work of your spirit. Lord, we thank you that you've come into us at salvation, that you come upon us as we walk in this world. And, Lord, we pray that you would now fill us for good works, for fruit. Lord, for that work that you've called us to as we await your return. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Lord, I thank you for this body. We thank you for the church around the world, Lord. We pray that you would cause us to to bond together in unity so that the world would know that there's a God who loves them. We bless you. We thank you. We pray all this in the precious name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.